The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. And this is the Hard Shoulder, Kieran Cuddy coming to you live from London. Tumultuous day for the Trust Administration. They're all tumultuous, it seems, at this stage, but particularly so today with the departure of another Home Secretary, this time Suella Braverman. So it was opportune that just a little bit earlier this afternoon, the broadcaster James O'Brien joined me here in studio to discuss the ongoing mayhem. And I started by welcoming him, him to our temporary abode in Soho. Very well indeed. Lovely to see you in the flesh. Yeah, it's glorious technical. Yeah, exactly. I know. Post COVID world, people can see each other in the flesh. Um, I mean, it's <laughs> it's a great week to see you. I, I, I believe it's uh, it's the uh, centenary celebrations of the 1922 committee. This week. Yes, absolutely. And those party poppers will be going off in earnest tonight, won't they? Shame there's no politics to talk about. You know. Yeah, I know. A very quiet week. Isn't it we just, have found ourselves as it's been since uh, 2016. Really, yeah, like very, a go- very a Gobi quiet. desert of news when it comes to UK politics. Yeah, exactly. Well, I know. We were we were discussing it on the way over. We said, I mean, there's there's a there's a chance the government, this trust's government, collapses this week. Wouldn't yeah. it be a real shame if it was a Thursday at seven o'clock <laughs> as as we as we come off air and head home to Ireland? Um, she's she's hanging on she uh, at the moment. About that's probably the best way to describe her, is it? Yeah, I mean, inaction is action in politics, isn't it? Doing doing nothing can actually end up being something. So I would say that her chances of surviving until. October the 31st, when the OBR report is due to be published, the one that Kwasi Kwarteng insisted he neither needed nor would publish, is now to come out on October the 31st, have probably increased a bit today. There's a vote this afternoon on fracking, which the Labour Party have very intelligently hijacked by um, essentially putting Conservative MPs who don't want fracking in their own constituencies are going to have to vote against a bill that would ban fracking in their own constituencies because the Tories have essentially turned it into a vote of no confidence. They were left with no choice because if Labour won that vote, they actually, under the terms of our archaic constitution, they assume legislative responsibility. They can then pass a law. So the Tories can't possibly do that because it would be literally giving the steering wheel to the Labour Party. So, I mean, I can't see any fireworks going off there because the because the thumbscrews will be will be so tight on, on Tory MPs. And if you've submitted a letter of no confidence already to the 1922, a chap called William Ragg, one of the 2019 intakers, just stood up in the House of Commons and said he would like to vote with Labour against the government on the fracking bill. But if he does that, he loses the whip, because the whips have gone three-line on this. And if he loses the whip, then his letter of no confidence ceases to be counted in the in the letterbox of the chairman of the 1922 committee. Because, of course, having lost the whip, he is no longer actually a Conservative MP. So it doesn't matter. So it's all very straightforward and simple at the moment. Yeah, so, so, yeah I, 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 I can't possibly vote with Labour because I need to remain in the party, the Conservative Party, so that I can stab the leader of the Conservative Party in the back. In the front. Because oh, yes. he stood up in the House of Commons and explained his reasoning. Yeah, well, I, I suppose you have to give them credit for that. They have yes. become adept at stabbing the leader in the front in recent years. Yeah, they have. And that, of course, is, is, is I mean, a good thing and a bad thing because it means that the stabber-in-chief of, of the last fellow, Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak, probably can't currently muster the sort of consensus or support that he would need to become the unity candidate, which is all they need to get rid of Liz Truss. If there was anybody front and centre around whom they could all coalesce, she'd be toast already. I mean, she is toast. She, mm. It's just a question of how high the toaster is turned up at the moment. It's on a very low mm. dial, low to middling. But if there was somebody there to assume the mantle immediately, an obvious unity candidate, then the toast would be 
popping out of the toaster. So it's a, it's a, still a version of that old, you know, he who wields the sword rarely wears the crown. It's beautifully put, and, and there's a reason why it's been yeah. been common parlance for a couple of that. Well, it's probably Shakespeare, actually, not rather than yeah, the Romans, well, yeah, but it's exactly. still pretty, <laughs> 600 years <laughs> exactly. or so. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, there, there is a narrative that, you know, Jeremy Hunt saves the party, yeah. uh, that he is that <laughs> unity candidate. He becomes a, an effective... Prime Minister, and, and I guess chancellors have been effective prime ministers at different points in the past. Yes. They've been kind of caretaker prime ministers hosting parties and doing other things while chancellors around the country. I yes. mean, is, is that, assuming Liz Truss continues in office for a few months, is, is that the type of government you're going to have? This is the point where I have to confess that I don't know. Try, trying to read the runes with a politician like Jeremy Hunt, who has somehow rehabilitated himself after being an abysmal Secretary of State for Health. During COVID, he emerged as a sort of, almost as an opposition figure, as a king across the water, talking about why the NHS wasn't doing well or what they should be doing differently in the context of healthcare, when he'd presided over a, a, a complete kebabbing of the entire health service. So he's, he's a very odd politician. He's a, he's a very odd man. His motivation, he says, is not influenced anymore by a desire ultimately to be leader. But you mentioned precedents and chancellors just becoming that safe pair of hands to whom the ball slips neatly when the when the you know mm. the previous incumbent, I suppose, John Major would be the most obvious, and he he went AWOL when Thatcher was in her um, uh, final decline. He he had claimed he'd had a wisdom teeth operation and disappeared, didn't answer the phone, just stepped away. He's not doing that. He's clearly stepped up. But I don't know. I, I mean, I can't see... He's a, he is a proper Remainer. He's never really recanted, as far as I can remember, on Brexit. He mm. was chucked out in the first round of voting on the last leadership election, which gives an indication of how popular he is or was among his parliamentary colleagues. And I, I, I mean, he's not got any stardust or pizzazz or charisma. They may not be looking for stardust or pizzazz or charisma, but he's not an inspirational figure or somebody who brings a following in the country to the party. And I think, goodness knows, they, they, they need that at the moment. So, so if he does represent something of a, of a return to the kind of uh, more traditional kind of patrician... Yeah, one nation. ...conservative, one nation Tories, I mean, is he just a kind of a, a, an example of, of how shallow that pool is within the party? Not necessarily. It's more an example of how desperate Liz Truss is. Okay. So there would be more obvious... Perhaps there would be. The problem is that Johnson got rid of so much talent in 2019 when that, um, that cull of MPs who were prepared, I mean, to be brutal, who were simply prepared to tell the truth about Brexit, and they all went. You think of Philip Hammond mm. talking to chancellors. From Chancellor of the Exchequer to deselected by your constituency party in the blink of an eye. I mean, that's madness. And people didn't re register the level of the madness at the time because they were all high on Brexit fumes. So, I, I mean, it's more that she needed anyone to fill that role. And Jeremy Hunt was... And it needed to be someone from the other side of the party. And Jeremy Hunt was the one that said, yes, you're, you're right. I mean, there, I can't think of any... I mean, Satya Javid could have done it, but he apparently turned it down. There are probably three or four characters, none of whom are necessarily household names. So, yeah, actually, I mean, the shallowness of the pool from which she is picking, even on that side of the party is shallow, which... Uh, 
surprises me only slightly because I spend all my time talking about the shallowness of the pool from which she does pick, i.e. the sycophants mm. and the yes men and women and the, I mean, the, the, the absolute talent vacuums that constitute the current cabinet. So it's quite depressing as a, not quite what the word is, as someone who believes in parliamentary democracy and, and, and is patriotic in the proper sense of the word. It's quite depressing to think that the Conservative Party is reduced to having pretty much no impressive candidates in any wing of the party at the moment. Gosh. You, as you say, <laughs> speak about or talk to people, you know, every day, but is there any sense that the recent experience of the Conservative Party in power, I mean, will hasten a return to, I suppose, maybe more traditional voting patterns as well, that, you know, that the red wall gets rebuilt? I, I, I think... I've been waiting personally six years for a kind of recognition of reality. I mean, whether that involves a return to traditional voting patterns, we'll have to wait and see. I would imagine that it would. People forget the toxic effect that Jeremy Corbyn had on the Red Wall. It wasn't particularly a vote for anything, except perhaps Boris Johnson's fraudulent Brexit. It was also very much a vote against that incarnation of the Labour, well, that Labour leader. Mm. And, and that's not an opinion, that's a matter of record. Starmer is fixing that. The polls at the moment suggest that everybody's going to vote for him, not just, not just the Red Wall, even perhaps large swathes of the so-called Blue Wall. So, yeah, I think a recalibration, but, but not a levelling, Kieran, because the Labour Party is recovering its sanity, while the Conservative Party under Liz Truss, in many ways, has got its Corbyn moment. It's, it's got a leader who is spectacularly unpopular with Parliament and whatever support she had has surely disappeared. And she has, in the space of a month and a half, she's pretty much hemorrhaged any support from anywhere except the most diehard membership, the ones who had a vote, who I can only imagine 64% to 36% today who would have changed their mind. So if they took the vote again today, it'd be 64% for Rishi Sunak, 36% for Liz Truss. And you can only imagine that they are either racist and they won't contemplate having a brown-skinned leader of the party or they're so stubborn that they can't admit they made a mistake because quite how anyone can look at what's happened in the last two weeks and not conclude that this is a skip fire of gargantuan proportions is completely beyond me. Is, is, is the skip fire... A necessary phase that parties now have to go through in the context of populism. Mm. That Corbyn was Labour's skip fire, mm. that Liz Truss, arguably the Conservative skip fire has been burning for that little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, but that, you know, that it's it, it could be cathartic on some it, it, level. In the sense of daylight being, yes. being bleached, daylight being a, being a, a cleanser. I yeah. think you might have a point there. I don't think anyone expected it to happen this quickly. The thrall in which Truss is held or, or holds the, uh, the think tanks, so-called think tanks that we have in this country, who have finally, after me shouting sometimes alone from the rooftops about what an insidious influence they were on British politics, these secretly funded lobby groups that describe themselves as think tanks and have infiltrated all corners of the UK media and they're all over Downing Street as well and they're advisors to cabinet ministers and, and, and their rationale or their, their, their raison d'etre simply seems to be to fetishise 
Epic Wealth, to defend the interests of Epic Wealth without and, and pretend, this is where the trickle-down economics comes in, to pretend that if you let corporations and individuals with a lot of money do whatever the hell they want, then somehow that will be good for everybody else. It's such an obvious con, but it's, it's had this entire country and the Conservative Party in its grip for a long time now, and Brexit was there, you know, all their Christmases came at once with Brexit. It was always going to fall apart... I'm surprised it's fallen apart quite so spectacularly and in the context of Liz Truss quite quite so quickly. But I don't think we're quite at that Corbyn point where Starmer can simply come in and fix things. I think the Tories are at least one more leader, possibly two more leaders away from even tacitly acknowledging the idiocy of Brexit. And that, of course, is... Is the ghost, that's Banquo's ghost at this feast, mm. everything. And finally, Murdoch newspapers have started to do it. The Daily Telegraph ran an article. I mean, this is unprecedented. Ran an article this week, albeit by a writer who'd been quite cool towards Brexit all along, but writing that Project Fear have been proved completely right about everything. And that now is beginning to sort of infiltrate through corners of the media where it, it would have been anathema even six months ago or 12 months mm. ago. But the Tories aren't ready for this yet. The ERG still, the European Research Group, still holds enormous sway. And, and it's not political. I, 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 it's, it's not even ideological. It's psychological, this commitment to Brexit, this weird belief that we're such an astonishing country that we can really defy the laws of gravity we can cut ourselves off from all the most obvious rules of international trade and somehow thrive or or do better than we do as a member of the largest single market in the history of humanity it's such a huge psychological obstacle for large parts of the conservative party to overcome larger than ever of course because johnson got rid Mm. of all the sensible ones in 2019 that i i think they'll need one possibly two more leaders before they get their starmer I, I, the question that you used to ask people that I always enjoyed was, uh, you know, w- which EU regulation were they most looking forward to to, to being free of? Uh, and it was generally met with a bit of radio silence. Wasn't and it? then they might yeah. say something about pillows and um, <laughs> three pin plugs. Uh, yeah, they were going to abolish three pin plugs, one fella said. <laughs> And I've seen it, the, 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 the more up to date version being asked in recent days being. Um, you know, uh, what 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 uh, benefit of Brexit yeah. uh, would you most miss, yeah. would you most lament uh, were we to rejoin the European Union? Is the real danger in all of this, from, from the point of view, as you say, of somebody who's patriotic in the healthy sense of the world and believes in parliamentary democracy, mm. is not, because we often talk about tribalism and people kind of retreating to the trenches and lobbing grenades and how toxic that is, but that actually apathy becomes embedded. I don't think so. I hope not. I, th- I think, I mean, again, you can't read too much into polls, however spectacular they may be, because people have been pushed to ask a question. That doesn't actually guarantee that they would turn up at the ballot box. But I think if there was a danger of any apathy, the scale of this cost-of-living crisis will, will, will destroy it. And a, a couple of calls I've taken that have really surprised me in, in recent weeks. One last week from, from a fellow who worked in estate management in the countryside, so he would have you know, kind of workers under him who would do everything from gamekeeping through to building, through to mm. construction work. And he said eight years ago, nine years ago, even even through the Brexit vote, none of my lads were remotely engaged in politics. But for the first time ever, they're worried that they're not going to have enough work. They're worried that they're not going to have enough bills. And he said, much to my surprise, when they start working out why and when they start thinking about it, they are all getting political. They're all now on WhatsApp swapping articles and swapping messages and the responsibility 
for the state of the nation when the state of the nation is dire, I think would be a pretty powerful corrective to any temptation towards lethargy or apathy. And they are going to look up and they're going to see a government led by a uniquely unimpressive individual and surrounded by uh, an astonishingly inadequate cabinet. And I, I, I imagine, I hope regardless of what the Labour Party do or what Keir Starmer does, that that's going to light a fire under the electorate. I really do believe that. Do you ever fall prey to the temptation of apathy? No, because I speak to people. I spoke to a woman today who can't, can't afford to eat. And she, you know, cooks for her children and then has Weetabix for tea. I spoke to another woman who's got so little money that she's wearing her dead mother's underwear now because she can't afford the outlay she can just about get through the week on food and and energy but she can't afford the extra outlay of buying new clothes or buying new knickers so any tempt i mean there are days when i'm bored of bored's not quite the right word exhausted mm. but never never bored never apathetic because the, the the beauty of doing what we do with radio and with phoning in particular is the connection you have with your audience the connection you have with ordinary people who do not enjoy the privileges and, and the advantages that you enjoy, and yet who deserve so much better. Well, I think the audience would have enjoyed that, James. An absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. That's our lot. We will be back here in our studio in London tomorrow from four o'clock. Great lineup, including Ronan Keating and much more besides. So tune in at four o'clock. Talk to you then. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.